Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, for all you prophecy buffs, we're going to do a Prophecy 101, I'll call it, in one of the most important chapters on prophecy in the Bible. All right, let's get started. Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel 2, the prophet lays out a vision that is not only amazing in its its historical prophetic accuracy, as seen from our present day, but enlightening with regards to contemporary events. Now, many Bible scholars who study prophecy, which, by the way, is about a third of the Bible, point to it as a foundational lesson. Now, Daniel was taken from Judah as a boy to Babylon, which overthrew the Assyrian capital of Nineveh in 612 BC, thus becoming then the newly dominant world power. It then moved on and conquered Egypt's armies in 605 BC, and that was the same year it took Jerusalem, which had not left the Jews' control since being taken by David about 400 years earlier. Daniel, as an advisor to the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, interpreted a dream the king had that provides us a stunningly accurate picture of the consequence of rising and falling empires, which have all had one thing in common, that is, the control of Jerusalem and the Jewish people. You see, the Lord declared numerous times in the scriptures that he chose Jerusalem and the Jews as his portion in the world. But when his people rejected his rule over them, he committed them to the governments of man as a school of hard knocks, so to speak. Now, this will end when he takes back rulership over them and his chosen city, Jerusalem, So, let's look at this dream. Now, without delving into the circumstances surrounding the dream, we'll focus on its interpretation and the prophetic message it contains. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, having conquered his known world, was concerned about what the future held and was troubled by a recurring dream. In Daniel 2, 31-45, the prophet Daniel miraculously provides the king both the dream and its meaning. Now, here's what he saw. A giant image like a man. And this image had a head of gold, shoulders and arms of silver, an abdomen of bronze, legs of iron, and then feet and toes made of a mixture of iron and ceramic clay. As he beheld the image, a rock, quote, cut out without hands, unquote, struck the image on its feet and broke them into pieces. Then, like the 2001 World Trade Center towers, the image was crushed together and became like chaff blown away in the wind. Meanwhile, the stone which struck it became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel explained that each material of the image represented 
another kingdom. And as we examine the symbology, it is truly remarkable. So much so that skeptics have for centuries tried to claim that Daniel was written post facto. But Christ, however, authenticated Daniel himself in Matthew 24.15 and Mark 13.14. And there are many other proofs of authenticity as well, if you needed more than Christ's. The head of gold represented Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. After this came the Medo-Persian, then the Grecian, and then the Roman empires. Well, that leaves one more, which I'll get to later. Babylon is called the Golden City in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 4. The Greek historian Herodotus visited Babylon 90 years after Nebuchadnezzar, and he said that he was shocked at the amount of gold in Babylon. He added that all the walls and buildings in the city were overlaid with gold. Hmm. Interestingly, the only nation Babylon actually removed from their homeland, you guessed it, was the Jews. Now, Babylon was later conquered in 539 BC by the Medo-Persian Empire. There is also a sense in which the image shows the deterioration of value in the kingdoms, going from gold to silver to bronze to iron and then ceramic clay. Also, you may note that the materials in that sequence are getting harder as the interpretation progresses. Gold is less hard than silver, which is less hard than bronze, which is less hard than iron, and is, that's less hard than ceramic clay. The next empire of the image is represented by the two arms, which are united by the chest. This just as the next historical empire to rule over Jerusalem. And the Jews, it had two parts, the Medes and the Persians, but they were united as one. Now, the Kurds of today, by the way, are the modern-day descendants to the Medes, and Iran is modern-day Persia. Now, this empire had a ruler that was less powerful, like the less valuable metal, than the kings of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute monarch, total authority. The Medo-Persian rulers, though, were somewhat restricted by their own laws. This is evident in both historical texts and Daniel chapter 6, the famous Lion's Den story. The next empire represented by the bronze belly and thighs symbolizes the Greeks, who most people remember from their history classes, was led to prominence by Alexander the Great. Now, the Greeks used a lot of bronze. In their weapons of war, they turned the world upside down with their use of bronze. Also, the belly for the Greeks was the seat of the soul. And the Greeks were known for their philosophies and attempts to explain the spiritual. The two thighs are also significant. Alexander left his empire to four generals, but only two of them became powerful. The empire of Syria, run by the Seleucid dynasty, and the empire of Egypt, run by the Ptolemies. 
the Greeks were run by an oligarchy, which was less powerful than the Persian constitutional monarchy. Well, then the next empire represented in the image was the legs of iron, the Romans. The two legs are clearly indicative of Rome and the iron pictures, the crushing and shattering that Rome brought to every nation they conquered. There was no empire in world history that so crushed all of its enemies as Rome did. The two legs represent, according to history then, the east and west divisions of Rome. The east came to be known as the Byzantine Empire and was based out of the city Constantinople, which we now call Istanbul in Turkey. The west portion remained centered in the city of Rome. Now it was Rome which destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and along with crucifying many tens of thousands of Jews, scattered them out of their homeland, not to return for about 1,900 years. Long legs. Also, the Roman government was inclusive of a senate, and thus weaker at the top than the previous three empires. Finally, however, we come to the feet and toes. Now, since the holy city was destroyed in 70 AD by General Titus and his Roman legions, the prophetic clock, if you would, stopped for the Jews together with Jerusalem, for they were no longer ruled together by any one single power. The people were scattered over the whole world, and the city passed from power to power to power, which included Arabs, Crusaders, Turks, and then the British. But then, in May of 1948, a UN resolution formalized the creation of a reborn Israel, and in 1967, during the famous Six-Day War, the Jews regained control over their ancient capital, Jerusalem. This is significant because the scriptures themselves identify the Jewish people as the clay. For example, Isaiah 64, 8 says, Behold now, O Lord, you are our father, and we are the clay, and you are potter, and all we are the work of your hand. And Jeremiah 18, 4-6 says, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, that's Jeremiah, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. But we must remember that in the feet and toes of the image, the clay is mixed with the iron. And though the clay is mingled with the iron, verse 43 of Daniel 2 points out that it will not cling or adhere together. From this, scholars point to the reemergence of the old Roman Empire in some form as a cooperative but not absolute sovereign power, together with the reborn Jewish state over Jerusalem. Now, historically, many commentators have speculated that the Ten Toes point to the European Union, and certainly the EU could be the iron in the feet and toes, but that does not account for the clay. Some have said, based on verses 41 and 42, that this mingling of the iron and clay simply indicates a mix 
of strong and weak governments in coalition. Now, personally, I think this is only part of the story. Every other part of the image's materials is clearly linked to a governing body. Yet, for some reason, many ignore the clay when the scripture has been quite explicit in interpreting itself. I'll say it clearly. The Jews are the clay. Considering the present day and looking ahead, based upon these and other passages, I think we're soon going to witness, either from here or from heaven, an EU, NATO, or perhaps a papal authority being exerted cooperatively with the Jews over Jerusalem. Interestingly enough, there have already been many semi-secret discussions along this line at high levels of the respective governments. Another reason not to admit the imagery of the clay in the prophecy is found in verse 45 of Daniel chapter 2, where it is mentioned specifically as being between the bronze and silver, rather than with the iron. Now, what happened historically between the time of dominance of the silver, that's the medial Persians, and the dominance of the bronze, that is the Greeks? Well, it's mentioned both in the Bible and in just about any good encyclopedia. In the final days of Daniel, during the rule of the medial Persians, that's in similar, I would, in type, in prophecy, to the last days of the church age, that is, today. The Jews were given authority by the world government of Cyrus, the medial Persian king, in type, if you would, similar to the action of the UN. To return to Israel and specifically to rebuild Jerusalem. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah also deal with this. Thus, the positioning of the clay between the bronze and silver in verse 45 should clue us in to its significance. Regardless, with the rebirth of the Jewish nation and the re-emergence of the Roman Empire in the form of the EU or possibly the MU, that's Mediterranean Union, we are clearly living in the days of the image's feet. This is the time in which the rock is going to come from heaven and strike, bringing the governments of man to an end. This rock, of course, is Jesus Christ. He is returning soon, and his kingdom will never end. Now may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast, and may you realize more of his grace today.